0: Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash gold. That's harrys.com slash gold for a $3 trial set. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. The Peter Schiff Show. Another extremely volatile day in the U.S. stock market today. You know, when I finished my podcast on Monday and we had that big drop, I suspected that Tuesday might be a reversal Tuesday type of day. Reversal Tuesday, uh, those days are notorious uh, uh, for a reversal. Uh, And if the trend has been down, then the reversal is up. Of course, when the trend is up, the reversals uh, would tend to be down. So I thought we'd probably get a bounce on Tuesday. And in fact, we did. Uh, We had a big rally. The Dow was up, I don't know, 400 points or so. Uh, Then this morning, the Dow opened up down 500 points. In fact, when I woke up this morning, a couple hours before the market opened, I think we were down closer to 600 And, you know, typically when we get these huge sell-offs right on the open because of overnight weakness, what generally happens is we end up getting a reversal up. We end up getting some buying after we open the markets down. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, The markets ended up recovering the entire loss. We closed around the highs of the day, Dow up uh, 230 points. And the NASDAQ up just over 100 points. Now, this is a you know reversal. Actually, checking the numbers, the Dow did not take out yesterday's low, but the, uh, the NASDAQ and the S&P did. And all the markets closed above the previous day's high. So these are reversal days. So I'm sure some people are going to look at these numbers and say, hey, this is a technical reversal. We took out the lows, we closed above the highs. It's an outside day and this is maybe, you know, the end of the correction. I do think that potentially we could have more to the rally, but I think the rally is the correction. I still think that this is a bear market. We narrowly avoided, you know, that um, Dow Theory sell. So the Dow Theory is still on a buy, and now we have a bit of a reversal, so maybe this correction Uh, has a little bit more legs, right? The correction now being the move up, because I think the primary trend is down. I don't think today's reversal is big enough to have put in the low of this correction, if it is a correction. So I still think that we are in a bear market until I see something to change my way of thinking, which would most likely be a change of the perception of the trajectory of Fed policy. Because remember, it's my belief that the Fed is ultimately going to rescue the markets that is keeping me from being even more bearish. But I, I do believe that the market needs to be rescued. I mean, it doesn't need to be rescued uh, you know, from an economic perspective. I mean, it shouldn't be rescued, but it needs to if the Fed's goal is to keep everything propped up, is to keep the air in the bubble, is to maintain the illusion of wealth, which is what they've done. Uh, by propping up the markets in the first place. See, I still think everybody believes that it's a correction, and so the Fed can kind of stand pat because everything's going to take care of itself because there's nothing to worry about. When that dynamic changes, uh, then the Fed is going to have to change too. And I think until that happens, this bear market is going to continue. And whether the Fed allows it to officially become a bear market or not, we don't know. But in the meantime, I continue to expect, as I said in the last podcast, for this bear market to fall a slope of hope. And the type of rally that we got today helps create that hope. Now, why did we have the big sell off in the morning? What was the catalyst or the excuse? And that was some retaliatory tariffs announced overnight by China. Now, none of this should have surprised anybody. I mean, we can all see this coming. I mean, China is going to go tit for tat. They don't want to lose face, even though it's probably bad economics to impose tariffs. I mean, China does a lot of things that are bad, but it just does it for show. And so this is no exception. And so they've imposed their tariffs. They don't want to act as if they're backing down in this trade war, right? They want to be tough. They don't want to be pushed around. So they're responding in kind. And this shouldn't have surprised anybody. But the market certainly used this as the excuse or the catalyst to sell. And I think the catalyst for the rally, whether this caused it or not, but the rally started as soon as this happened, is Larry Kudlow, who's no longer just a commentator. He's now Trump's top economic advisor, although I would say nothing has changed. Kudlow is exactly the same He's going to say the same stuff now as he's always been saying. In fact, that's probably why he's Trump's economic advisor. He came out, he did an interview, I think, with Stuart Varney on on Fox Business, I think it was, and he immediately said he doesn't understand the market's overreaction, that everything is fine, that the economy is sound, that the markets are strong, and that we're probably not going to have all these tariffs anyway, Uh, cooler heads are going to prevail. And that really started the rally. And it was up from there. I mean, it didn't just go straight up, but, you know, the market attempted to sell off a couple of times, but the buyers came in and then we closed out on the highs. But of course, I would discount anything Larry Kudlow has to say, because Larry Kudlow has always been optimistic on the economy and the stock market. Always. He's never not been. I mean, maybe there were a couple of days after the financial crisis when everything was imploding, when he was a bit worried. Uh, But he certainly wasn't worried before the financial crisis hit. He saw no problems. It was Goldilocks. Everything was great. And, you know, ever since Trump's been elected, of course, everything has been great. I mean, when Obama was there, he was still a little worried about Obama, but he was still bullish on the markets. He was still bullish on the economy, despite Obama. I mean, it's in his nature. He's a very optimistic guy. Uh, but why anybody is going to buy stocks or act on something that he says as if it actually means anything. Because what else is he going to say? That's why he's got the job. He's got the job to be a cheerleader officially instead of unofficially. Instead of just you know being a Trump cheerleader and a, and a market cheerleader as a, a pundit uh, or a regular or a host, whatever he was, on CNBC, now he's just doing it from the White House. But supposedly now his comments... Mean more. Right. Because if Larry Kudlow just said exactly what he said today, you know, you know, on on CNBC on, you know, as a regular, nobody would have cared. But suddenly you put a title on him, chief economic advisor, and all of a sudden it means something. Why? It means nothing. I mean, there's nothing he can actually do uh, to affect policy. And he certainly can't do anything uh, to affect the markets. I mean, maybe if you think he's got Trump's ear and maybe he can change Trump's opinion, that ain't going to happen. That's not why he's there. He's not there to change Trump's mind or to educate Trump. Trump is going to do what Trump wants to do. Trump nominated Kudlow for a reason. And the reason is to go out and say a lot of positive things. And that's exactly what he's doing. So the markets are actually you know, listening to what he has to say as if it's some indication of what's going to happen. It's not. But whatever happens, If we're in a bear market, we're in a bear market. It doesn't matter. And Kudlow's never going to warn you about it. I mean, even if he was worried about something, the last thing he would do is say something about it. I mean, no, that's not his job. His job isn't to express concern. His job is to alleviate concern by expressing optimism and crediting the president and his team for all the good things that he thinks is going to happen. But in any event, that was the catalyst for today's rise. But, you know, I'm watching on CNBC today to get, you know, people's reactions. People are talking about trade and, and, and what it means. And of course, the best guest that was on all day by far was Jeff Gundlach. I mean, he was on, I watched his entire interview. First of all, it was almost like listening to my, my last podcast because he pretty much went over every one of my talking points. Now, I'm not suggesting that He listened to my podcast, and that's the basis of what he said. I mean, maybe he listened to it, maybe he didn't. I have no idea. Uh, But I think we think alike. So he may have certainly arrived at some of the same uh, conclusions and highlighted the same talking points that I did because we're looking at the same uh, information and we're viewing it from a very similar uh, prism. So it's no doubt that he hit on all these themes. I think the difference between... Uh, the stuff that Gundalak is saying and the stuff that I'm saying is I think he sugarcoats his delivery a lot more than I do. I mean, I, you know, I don't really pull any punches. I mean, I just come out and, you know, swing in and I just tell it like it is. Uh, and I think, you know, he's a lot more diplomatic and maybe that's one of the reasons that he's on and I'm not. Plus, you know, he manages a lot more money than I do. So he's got a lot more street cred uh, than I do. You know, at Euro Pacific Capital, I mean, I'm tidy uh, compared to Double Line. Um, but you know, I think that, that sugarcoating, you know, makes it easier for the audience to swallow what he's got to say. But if you actually listen to what he's saying, it's very similar, almost identical to what I'm saying. Uh, and he just doesn't speak in absolute certainty. It's like, this is going to happen. But if you read between the lines, yeah, that's what he's saying. He just, you know, doesn't want to come out and club you with it. Uh, but you know, just, you know, I don't know if they'll replay it and maybe it'll be up on YouTube. You can hear it and compare it uh, to what I was talking about on my last podcast. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure if they, he left anything out. It's almost all the identical stuff right down to the cryptocurrencies. Uh, but, you know, all, all, all the big picture stuff. So he was the one, you know, refreshing, uh, you know, note on CNBC. I don't even know how the audience can handle the candor uh, or you know the intelligent observations uh, uh, that they get because most of the time they hear a bunch of nonsense in fact I think today I might have heard the stupidest comment I've ever heard on cNBC and you know that's a high bar right because there's stupid stuff said every day so if you're gonna top all the stupid stuff with the stupidest stuff right that's an achievement right although it's a dubious achievement but An achievement nonetheless. And I forget the guy's name, which is just as well, because I don't have to embarrass him. Uh, But he was talking about trade. And he said, look, the United States is the one country that doesn't have to worry about, you know, a trade war, because we would be fine with no trade. He basically said, if nothing went out and nothing came in, right, if we didn't trade at all, we'd be fine. I mean, what an asinine statement. We are the country that would be most negatively impacted Immediately, if global trade were to cease, but his not seeing this is typical of the guys who are managing all the big money on Wall Street, how little they know about basic economics. See, As far as they're concerned, well, you know, we have a deficit and so we're losing on trade. And so if we stop trading, then we don't lose anymore. We win, right? I mean, that's how Trump looks at it. No, we lose. We lose big time. I mean, maybe we win in the long run, many, many years from now. But in the short run, the pain will be excruciating if we can no longer trade. How can this guy not see that? right? Because if goods are not coming in, what does that mean? That means that you know you go into Walmart and none of the imported goods are on the shelves. The only stuff that's there is the stuff we made ourselves, which is nothing. So the shelves are empty. And that's pretty much the case with all the retailers everywhere. There's gonna be nothing to buy. I mean, there's no toys, there's no clothing, there's no shoes, there, I mean, there's no, most of the electronics, I mean, the appliances, I mean, I mean, we import 90% of our seafood. Could you believe that? I've mentioned that. I mean, we're surrounded by oceans, we got all these lakes, and nobody fishes, right? We gotta import up. So, where would all the seafood come from? I mean, we have a little bit, but how are we going to exist on 10% of what we consume? I mean, I suppose a lot of Americans who are unemployed could pick up a rod and start fishing. But are they actually going to do that? So the reality is, if trade stops, the economy implodes. I mean, what are consumers going to spend money on if there's nothing to buy? Right? I mean, I mean, it's just a complete implosion. Forget about the fact that a lot of the people that work in exports, right, they would lose their jobs, too, if whatever they're exporting, you know, if, they, if there's no buyers in America and they can't export it, well, they're out of, out of work. But the whole economy would implode if we couldn't trade. I mean, China, fine. All right. So what would happen if China couldn't send us their goods? Well, they'd have a pile of goods. What would they do with them? Right. Well, they could either consume them themselves. Hey, what a win for them. Or they can sell them to other people, other countries that can actually afford to pay. Oh, another win for China. I mean, China now, the only way they can trade with America is to lend us the money to buy their stuff. But we're never going to pay it back. So what good does that do China? They might as well trade with a decent customer who can actually pay for their stuff, where the Chinese don't have to loan them the money, which brings me to the other part of the equation that none of these guys seem to appreciate. What would we do if we didn't have the recycled trade deficits— into our bond market. You see, because the countries we're trading through, if we run a $600 billion, $800 billion deficit, whatever it is, most of that money is used to buy U.S. treasuries or other bonds, keeping our interest rates low. So if we didn't have these trade deficits, then not only would consumer spending implode because they'd have nothing to buy, but where would the government get the money to fund Social Security and national defense and welfare and all that? Where did they borrow that money? They'd have to borrow it from Americans. Well, Americans are broke. How are they going to lend money to the government? We're borrowing it from our trading partners who are recycling their surpluses. So if trade comes to an end, that's it for the U.S., right? Prices skyrocket because there's very few products to buy. And consumer spending implodes because prices are higher, so you spend less. Interest rates skyrocket because everybody's got to buy U.S. bonds. Real estate prices crash, stock prices crash. But these guys are oblivious. We, we will be killed if we stop trading, right? And in fact, we're not actually trading. We're just getting stuff for free, right? And so if we stop trading, what really stops is the free lunch. What really stops is our ride on the global gravy train. In fact, I think I pointed this out on the last podcast and I heard it again today about how the Chinese can't sell their treasuries. They would never do that because it would, they would get hurt. It would hurt themselves. How? I mean, why do people think that it would hurt China by selling treasuries? Because they think the treasury market would implode and China would end up losing money on the sale? Well, doesn't that hurt America if the treasury market implodes? That means interest rates skyrockets. That means our cost of funding goes up. But by the way, the Chinese may be dumb, but they're not that dumb. They're not sitting on a bunch of 30-year treasuries. They've got T-bills. They don't have to sell anything. All they have to do is let them mature, right? So then what? You know, And the alternative for the U.S. If, is if we're going to try to force other buyers to step up and pick up the slack, right? Interest rates are going to go way up in America. The only way to stop that is if the Fed does QE4 and buys the bonds that the Chinese no longer want. But either way, America gets screwed. Either we get higher interest rates or higher inflation. One or the other. So this idea that, you know, we've got all the cards, you know, we're in the best position is ass backwards. We are in the worst possible position. And it's amazing how few people actually appreciate this. But of course, you know, that's why gold is still as low as it is. Now, in fact, gold was up today about 10 bucks, 12 bucks on the open. And it seemed like tick for tick, it was uh, following the the U.S. stock market. Because as the U.S. stock market started to uh, rise, gold started to fall, but you know gold did not sell off, right? Gold, I think, you know, ended up, you know, about flat on the day, and if you look at the uh, the gold chart, I mean, the the range is really getting compressed, right? We're not breaking out, but we're not breaking down, right? It's getting narrower and narrower. We're really consolidating. Uh, And this is, again, this is another point that Gundalot made that I've been making as well, and he brought it up too, that all the markets are consolidating. The gold market, the currency markets, meaning the dollar, and the bond market. And they're consolidating in a very bad way for the U.S., right? And all these consolidation patterns follow big moves, which from technical analysis, you would expect for a continuation of the move that preceded the consolidation, right? So you had a huge drop in the dollar in January. In fact, it dropped all last year, but then it dropped a lot in January. And now what? Just going sideways. The dollar's not going down, but it ain't going up either. We're just consolidating that loss. We're working off the oversold condition without a rally. Very negative for the dollar. The opposite happening in gold. We've been moving up ever since the Fed started raising rates in December 2015. The range has been getting narrower and narrower and narrower. Uh, We've been consolidating those gains from, you know, from 1050 up to 1350, really about a $300 gain. We've been consolidating that. We're getting ready to break out to the upside. Bonds, the same pattern. We had a big drop in bonds, a spike up in yields. Now we're consolidating. Yields aren't going up anymore, but they're not going back down. They're all getting ready to break. And all these things are tied together. The bond market, the dollar, gold, it's all about confidence or a lack thereof in the U.S. economy, in the Federal Reserve, that inflation is, is not going to uh, remain contained. In fact, we got more economic news that came out today suggesting that pressures are building. In fact, the PMIs, the ISM, both came out a little bit below expectations today, as did the factory orders, not substantially below, but below, but the pricing numbers were stronger. So, economy weakening, uh, but price pressures mounting. We did get a stronger than expected ADP report this morning, which again is the private payrolls. They were looking for an increase of 185,000. We got 241. They even revised uh, uh, February up from 235 to 246. So, a strong number. I mean, strong is all a relative number, uh, but what everybody would be considering strong. And so that has generally been a precursor to a better number uh, for the non-farm payroll number, the official number that's coming out on Friday. I think the consensus is about 175. Remember, last month we had 313,000, so that was way above. And so now they're looking for a move back below 200, although maybe now that we got the ADP, maybe more people are expecting another print north of 200,000. I'm sure I will do a podcast on Friday, uh, try to squeeze it in. I think on Saturday, I am leaving on the, on the cruise, the Real Estate Guys cruise. I talked about that on a few, on several podcasts. A number of people signed up. So I'm really excited about meeting some of the uh, people who listen to the podcasts who are also going to be part of this Real Estate Guys cruise. And, you know, it stops in Puerto Rico. We have a day in Puerto Rico and Uh, People are going to be coming and and checking out my community here in Dorado. And uh, I think I've organized an event and people are going to learn a little bit more about uh, the benefits of moving to Puerto Rico. By the way, if you are thinking about moving to Puerto Rico, but you don't know what you do or you don't have a job, I got a solution for you. I'm hiring. Right, Euro Pacific Asset Management. Uh, We are based in Dorado, Puerto Rico. I used to be in San Juan. My bank is based in San Juan. But my asset management company that owns and operates uh, the, the mutual fund family and that does the managed accounts uh, you know, at Europe Pacific Capital uh, is based in Dorado, Puerto Rico. And we need to hire some people. I actually need to hire some customer service salespeople. I mean, more sales than customer service. What I want is to pe- for people to help. You know, in the sales process, so you know it's better if you have experience. If you're working as a broker, um, at at you're registered now, whether it's a Series Seven, which you don't actually even need, uh, because what I'm I'm doing, you'd be selling my mutual funds, which requires a Series Six, and you would be selling uh, my managed account. So you would be raising money for me to manage. You wouldn't be managing any of the money yourself. uh, So it's simply a sales job. You're getting people. To send money in for me to manage or to buy my mutual funds but we have a huge database of prospects people who obviously listen to my podcasts or who follow me who have yet to become clients and so hopefully they will uh, as time goes by and it's good to have um, people to help speed along the process I mean in a way we can sit back and wait for the phones to ring Uh, but if we do that by the time they're ringing off the hook uh, I think uh, gold price will be much higher the dollar will be much lower uh, so sometimes people need a little push in order to get them to move a little faster. And so if you have the sales skills, if you have the training in particular, if you have the experience, I got plenty of leaves. Right, so I, I can keep you busy uh, you know, you know, twenty-four seven if you're inclined to work twenty-four seven. So if you're interested, you know, send uh you know, send an email my way um about it. Um, I don't know what the, what the best address would be to send the email. I mean, you can shift at Europac.com is my. I think I, I think I have a shift radio email address too. Maybe if you have that one, it might be good. I forget off the top of my off the top of my head. But so the job will mainly pay commission. I mean, there'll be some small salary, but don't expect much, right? I don't want somebody to come to Puerto Rico looking for a salary. It's going to be more. You know, eat what you kill. You know, if you. Raise a lot of money, help me raise money, and open up new accounts and gather assets. Then uh, you'll be compensated. But the good news is the tax breaks, because I can structure all my employees' compensation in such a way to very, you know, to really minimize your overall tax liability. So I would guess, uh, you know, if you have a six-figure income working for me, you would be in a tax bracket of maybe ten to fifteen percent max, right? Uh, And that's it. Right. There's no state tax. You know, there's just a Puerto Rico tax. And I think I can bring that down to 10 to 15 percent. No, you know, again, no federal tax. Then, of course, if you decide you want to get the Act 22 while you're down here, you can apply for it. right? you got to pay the fee. It's five thousand bucks to file a fee. But if you get the Act 22 grant, then you'd have zero capital gains tax on your personal investments. But you don't need that in order to have preferential tax treatment. For the income that you earn being an employee of Euro Pacific Asset Management, so that's a great deal. So you can come down here, you can dramatically reduce your tax liability that you have in the states. Come down to Puerto Rico, great weather. So again, if you're anybody, anybody that's interested, uh, send me your resume. Uh, I'm not sure how many people we're hiring, maybe two or three. So you know, and if that works, I'll hire more. You know, I mean, we certainly have, I have the space. I have uh, empty desks in. Uh, My office in Dorado, but anyway. So let me get back to uh, what I was discussing before I went off on that tangent. Oh yeah, the real estate guys cruise. So I'm going to be going on that cruise on on Friday. So I'm probably not going to be doing any podcasts the following week when I'm at sea. I mean, you never know. The internet connection on the ship is really really bad, and you know maybe I can do it when I'm on land when I come back to Puerto Rico if I have a, a some spare time. But I think my day may be pretty full. So you might have to get by without the podcasts uh, when i'm out when i'm out at sea but we'll see but meantime you know obviously there'll be some type of uh, market impact that the uh, the jobs numbers may in fact have uh on on this rally i don't know maybe that'll be the catalyst to to bring it to an end we'll see but as i said technically uh we could have a bigger bounce uh this is the correction though as far as i'm concerned the correction is to move up because the primary trend is down and the way you correct the downtrend is by moving up. So people think this down move is a correction. No, bear market, the up move, that's the correction. They think it's a resumption of the bull or a continuation of the bull, but it's a correction in a bear. Speaking about bear markets, of course, uh, I didn't want to uh, leave the commentary at all without talking about uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. And in fact, that was another thing I mentioned that Jeff Gundlach also discussed uh, from a similar perspective. I mean, according to Jeff Gundlach, and he's actually looked at this maybe closer than me, is that he looks at Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as the ultimate risk asset, the ultimate form of speculation, and kind of like the poster child for the mania. And and I agree with him, right? And of course, the, the way the cryptocurrencies have been marketed has been as a safe haven, right? As digital gold. But they don't act anything like safe havens. They act everything like risk assets, which of course is what they are, because it's all based on faith. There's no there's no value there. There's no safety. There's no tradition. There's no value to store. It's all speculation. It's all hype. Right. That's all this thing ever was, and that's all it continues to be. But he thinks that uh, the the cryptos are actually leading uh, the stock market. What the cryptos do, the stock market does just a few days later. And if that is the case. Then my my guesstimate of this rally being a correction is accurate because as I'm speaking, uh, Bitcoin is back down to about 6,800, and it was lower earlier uh, than this, but it's around 6,800 now, which is relatively close to the lows. I mean, in fact, the low that I'm looking at was 6,734, so we're not far off that. But we got back up to 7,500 yesterday. Right? So we had a bout rally. Remember, I said on my last podcast, I think any rally over 7,000 is a selling opportunity. I think that's where all the resistance is coming in. You know, There's some support that's getting thinner and thinner and thinner. There's not enough buying to generate the bigger rallies that we used to have. We get these small rallies, um, maybe some short covering now that you've got the futures in there. Maybe some of these whales try to prop up the market. But it's getting harder and harder to prop it up because the weight is heavier and heavier. And it is bearing down. And so now we're at 6,800. We haven't made new lows yet. But I think they're coming, right? And if the cryptocurrencies crash and make new lows, and Jeff Gundlach is right, that the cryptos are just the tip of the risk pyramid. And they're basically the dog ragging the tail. And what the cryptos do, then the Nasdaq stocks follow because it's a similar uh, speculative frenzy, just not quite as speculative an asset As the cryptos but again their selling point is not that they're a speculative asset right the people who are touting cryptocurrencies are not saying buy these cryptocurrencies because they got massive volatility buy these cryptocurrencies because it's the best way to gamble right no they're saying it's a store of value it's a safe haven it's digital gold none of that is true right so the entire premise upon which people are supposedly buying them is completely false because, in fact, all they are is the ultimate in speculative assets, the ultimate speculative bubble, and that one may end up popping before all the others, but is the warning sign that the, these bubbles, they, it's contagious, right? One pops, and they all pop, because it's the animal spirits, it's the speculative frenzy, and when the music stops in one bubble, it stops for them all. And when the music stops for the bubbles, that's when it starts playing in things like gold, which has been the antithesis of a bubble. So when people start to move from fool's gold, digital gold, to real gold, it would not be a coincidence for these things to be happening at the same time. And also with the stock markets, people moving out of the bubble stocks and the hype stocks and the story stocks, looking for real value, looking for you know the undervalued, out-of-favor companies that I've been buying for years that everybody has been ignoring because they've been hanging out in the casino, just buying what's hot, and they've been ignoring the real value, which ultimately uh, will be back into focus. When everything comes crashing down and now people start looking for real investments instead of trying to jump on you know, whatever's hot, then those things come back into play. And it's not just me. It's all the guys who have been managing money, who have been using their brains instead of their emotions, right? active managers who have underperformed because we've been in a mania, that's when active management is going to come back into vogue, and that's when all the people who piled into the index funds and have been mindlessly following the herd are going to try to come back for some actual advice. The problem is they're going to come back a lot poorer than they were when they left off on this uh, joyride.